Well, good morning. How are you? Doing all right? Four of you? Give Pastor Zach and the team a hand, the tech team, for leading us so, so well. Wow, we're so glad y'all are here. What's this thing, this hot round thing outside that's like a limiting, what is that? Oh, nice. That could have gone bad, I guess. I don't know. But well, we're so glad you're here. My name is Bobby. I get to serve as one of the pastors here. If you're new around here, thanks for being here. If you're watching online, we're so glad that you're part of this morning. We've seen God do amazing, amazing things already this morning. There's a lot going on in our kids and student ministry, a lot of adult groups going on. There's so many good things going on. And yet at the same time, I know that this has also been a heavy week. There's been some things that have broken our heart this week. And so we know in a room, in a morning like this, there's both of those things. But we say, welcome home. We say, this is a safe place to be able to be here. Um, if you're new to, around here, I, I'd love to get to meet you right after this gathering. We have what's called the meet and greet room through the side door. If you've got a moment just to hang out, I'd love to give you some info and to say thanks for being here. Also, most of you know, we have our Sugar Hill Espanol that meets over in the chapel at 11. Well, right after this gathering, a lot of them are going to come over here and get to see several of their congregation being baptized. And so if you've got a few minutes to hang out, and uh, it's, it's going to be super encouraging. would love for you to do that and to be a part of that. And uh, then find some folks around you that you don't know so well and invite them to lunch and just hang out and get to know some people today. That'd be very, very cool. Well, as we continue in our worship today, I want to invite our team that's going to help us to receive our offering to go ahead and make your way in place. As they're doing that, I just want to echo what Pastor Zach said already. Thank you for your generosity. Last week, we sort of threw it out there. What would happen if we could sponsor some kids for our break, uh, breakthrough weekend that's coming up next weekend? And man, you guys really, really stepped up. I haven't heard the final number, but it's uh, close to 30-something kids got sponsored last Sunday. So give yourselves a hand. It's pretty amazing pretty amazing just on the spot. And so I'm so grateful for your big heart. Now, I know a lot of you have already given online. If you've already done that, thanks for doing that. About half of our weekly giving comes through the app. But if you haven't given yet, I want to invite you to be part of that. Uh, our budget is roughly $55,000 a week for us to do everything that we believe God's placed in our heart to do. And so we just invite you to be part of that, that God does something pretty amazing through the generosity of his people. And you are a generous, generous people. As we get ready to pray for this offering, I will remind you that in the bulletin, there's always announcements of things that are coming up. So many big things coming up. One is next Sunday morning is our next membership breakfast, which is a great way if you've been around here for a while, or even if you're brand new and you're like, what do you believe? How do you live that out? Sign up for that. It's going to be a great meal and a great conversation next Sunday. And then also tonight, we've got a group of guys that are meeting up here at 5 p.m. for a men's gathering where they're going through a Bible study called Play the Man, led by Freddie Cross and some others from our Man Church call that happens on Thursday nights. They're coming together tonight at 5 p.m. in the underground. So invite a friend and be part of that. It'd be very, very cool. But let me pray for us. And then I've got uh, some folks I want to introduce you to. Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you that you're near the brokenhearted today. Thank you you're here in this place that we can celebrate you, that we can worship you. We ask you to do what only you can do today. We believe that the best is yet to come. And so as we come today, we come with this posture, just expectant that you are alive and well, and you're still doing amazing, amazing things. As we give today, I pray that you'd cause us to go even further than we could ever imagine ministry-wise to help more and more folks. 
and to see people experience the life change of Jesus. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. As the pastors are coming by, I want to invite the leads up. As they're coming up, if you've been around here a few weeks, we've been in the series called Flip, this idea of moving something that honestly is a huge stressor for a lot of families and moving it into the strength category. And so we've been talking about money. Now, here's the deal. Uh, a lot of people don't like talking about money. I found that people that have plenty of money, they don't mind talking about it, but the rest of us folks don't really get excited about talking about money. We don't like talking about it. And we especially don't like it when pastors talk about money in general. That's not the thing. But here's what we found is when I was doing the research for this week, about 50% of the divorces that happen in our country cite finances being one of the key things that drove the wedge in the relationship. So half of divorce is impacted by financial stress and strain. And so it's, it's no surprise then when you know that that's such a big deal that Jesus and the Bible has so much to say about finance. So what would happen if we went back to our creator and said, how do you intend for us to deal with it? And so along the way, we've been asking just normal folks from our church to tell their story of how they've seen God work in and through their finances. And so would you show some love to Tim and Sarah Leeds for being here today? Who's gonna kick us off? So I broke the ice. I said who you are, but tell us about you guys. How long have you been around here? And uh, yeah, how'd you get plugged in? Yeah, so we've been coming to Sugar Hill Church for right around six years, um, and we started with a, it was a morning small group on Sundays with the uh, Financial Peace University, and, it, you know, ever since then, we've slowly become more and more involved, um, and, yeah, that's kind of where we are with the church right now. Anything you want to add, Sarah, or do you just take it all? That's about it. You did good. Yeah? Well, tell us about the cutest one in the family, Victoria. Oh, man. Well, in just a couple weeks, she'll be two years old, so she's just and all running the around said, keeping us busy. <laughs> she is pretty cute. Yeah, she's awesome. She's awesome. Well, uh, obviously, we've been talking about finances, and I've gotten the privilege of hearing y'all's stories over the last five or six years of just how that's been a big deal. Um, sometimes, when in the past, when we've offered Financial Peace University, automatically, when people hear that title, they're like, well, I don't need that. I mean, I'm not so in debt or our finances aren't so crazy. So sometimes people stay away from classes like that because they don't, they think it's for somebody else, not for them. And part of your story that y'all told me this morning even was that y'all didn't necessarily see yourself as having financial strain, but there was something about that class that got you in it. And then what'd you learn through that? Well, yeah, like you said, we, we weren't really in crisis mode at the time. We both had jobs and, you know, we thought we were normal. We had our car payments and student loan payments and but we were we were fine yeah. but we just wanted a plan so the, what financial peace university gave to us was that plan and now the program that we're um we're looking into now for the um i was broke now i'm not we yep. sat through that we we're familiar with it great plan as well you know yep. not partial to either one but that gave us a plan and now once we started walking out those steps we realized we kind of were in crisis mode. We really? were in lots of debt and we were living paycheck to paycheck, but we just didn't feel that way at the time. So it felt normal going yeah. into it. And then in yep. some ways your eyes were open to, so what was that like to realize actually we're not as doing as well as we thought? Was that awesome or was that oh, no. beat yourself up or what was the sort of the emotions behind that? It was, it was pretty scary, but. Well, the thing is, is, you know, we thought we were doing great cause we did have decent jobs. We had a career. Um, but when you open that up and start peeling everything back and realizing that it wasn't really all of our money, you know, the way we're living it is so common 
um, to get in debt and to get have car payments and you know things like that that it's kind of eye-opening yeah what was the number that y'all figured out debt wise over the last few years that y'all were actually looking at so total it was right around 45 grand and you know through that as we were paying it off um, we had things break down so we had to get a new HVAC you know in our, in our house that never happens the moment you're like hey yeah. we're gonna get our finances together nothing ever breaks does it and everybody wants to spend money on HVAC, right? Yeah. Woohoo! <laughs> Nobody's excited about that. But we got, a, we got a comment about that even last week where somebody was here and they're like, man, I'm ready to take next steps. And then boom, something happens, right? But the biggest thing, you know, through, through all that, as we were paying off debt was the plan um, and the budget. I mean, everyone's heard of budgeting. And, but if you put it into practice, it really does help. And you can really find out where you can, where you're spending too much or it's not necessary. Um, so that's really what helped us the most, I think, through that, uh, to set, set aside. And we ended up paying for those things with cash during that time we were paying those off. So that's awesome. So somewhere along the way, y'all are able to take care of the debt. Mm -hmm. You're also still able to save for the future, and you're still able to cash flow day-to-day -day living without going further in debt. So what's that been like? I mean, what are some of the things that getting out of debt has made possible and just putting a basic game plan in place? What, what's been different in y'all's life? A lot of things. I'll let Sarah speak for herself. Um, but for, for me, um, and with my career, for example, I'm somewhat aggressive. But just allowing, um, if, if things happen or if you want to go somewhere else, you don't feel the pressure of, I'm stuck in this job. Because, you know, you have money saved aside for things like that. So, um, you know, that's something that I felt initially. And, you know, Sarah's able to stay home with Tori, which is amazing. And I yeah, that, that's a huge blessing. One thing that we were talking about before is that this isn't tithing. We, we didn't really tithe beforehand, but we felt like that was what we were supposed to do. The Bible says to do that. So we started tithing. And I think what's important is that it's not an investment. We can't look at it like an investment. Okay, I give 10% and God's going to give me 15% back. That's not what it is. Sometimes it happens, yeah. But some of the blessings that you get back... They're not about money. You know, yeah. we were able to set ourselves up financially to where I was able to leave my job and now I get to stay home. And that's huge, you know, and that's, yeah. you can't put money on that. Yeah, that's awesome. And though one of the things <clears throat> that Dave Ramsey says in Financial Peace is that Murphy's going to come. Murphy's going to happen. And so as y'all have gotten out of debt, I know part of your story is there's been challenges that have come along the way, but y'all haven't been overly stressed about that. You haven't been, it hasn't knocked you for a loop. Tell me a little bit about that. Like, why is that true? Like, how, how have you seen that in your life? Sure. So, like I said, when we first started, we didn't feel like we were in crisis mode. But um, since, since we've kind of gotten our finances established, we have hit those crises. And we have hit some medical emergencies that have had to come up. And um, because we were set up the way that we are with our finances, we were able to just focus on the emergency and just focus on the crisis and not have to worry about all the financial implications that come with it because dealing with the two, I, I just don't know how we would have done it. Yeah. it just the emergencies themselves have been enough. Yeah. <laughs> we don't need extra financial burden too. Absolutely. One's enough at the moment, right? right. <laughs> Absolutely. Tim, what would you say to folks that find themselves in a similar place in life where things don't necessarily feel broken, but they have a sense that there's probably more intentionality that could be there. I mean, if there's anybody that's sort of on the fence, should I take next steps? What would you encourage them with today? I, I wouldn't be stubborn about it. You know, one thing that prevented us from doing this sooner was 
probably my stubbornness. Um, and Sarah, Sarah convinced me, just go to it. Let's just do this. So I would say look into it, especially because, um, you know, it's really easy to access here. Especially, and you have a great community and you have a great um, support system. One thing that was really valued to us was the mentoring that we got during these classes and that we still reach out and when we have questions or we want to make a decision, we'll ask, um, you know, our mentors and just say, hey, what do you think if we, if we were to do this? And a lot of times they're like, what are you thinking? You know, and you yeah. really know a lot of times, but just the training and the tools, I would say do it because you're, you're not gonna know what it could have been if you didn't, and it really does change your life. Like our, our life is so different than it was five years ago. Um, so I would say jump in. That's awesome. Anything yeah. to add to that, Sarah? Or an amen? Or? Well, I mean, you never, you never regret going to the gym after you do it, but getting to the gym yeah. is hard sometimes. Especially Same when thing. there's a Dunkin' Donut right next to right. it. Right, why do they do that? <laughs> Vitamins, right. Vitamins. But same kind of thing, you're never gonna regret whatever position that you're in, you're never gonna regret a little tune-up or a little check-in and just make sure that you're still on the path that God has for you financially. That's awesome. Well, I'm so grateful for you guys. You've been a gift to our church and thank you for sharing your story because I guarantee you, it's encouraged some people today. Y'all show them some love. Thank them for being part of today. So grateful. Thank you. There is so much more to their story. I wish I told them this morning that I shouldn't even preach. We should just interview them the whole time because it's been amazing to see God work in and through their story and just to see the joy that's in their life. And so I'm so, so grateful uh, for that. And so if you're new to this and you're like, man, what are some next steps? We started this morning a, a new series of Bible studies called I Was Broke and Now I'm Not. And so if you want to jump into that, there's still time to, and we're hoping to add some more options for that later this semester. And so one way that you can communicate that is with the tear-off today or through a card that you drop uh, by uh, the meet and greet room today. We'd love for you to get involved in it. But today we're wrapping up the series called Flip and this idea of moving from stress to strength. And so on week one, Pastor Chuck kicked it off with the strong word and reminded us of this big truth that God actually owns it all. That a lot of times if we're not careful, we, we get so me-centered and we think it's all about us, but actually God owns it all and we're equipped to be the managers of it. So that was week one. Then week two, he talked about what happens when we give, what happens when we actually join God and what he's up to. And it's so, so powerful. And then last week we had Joseph Sangle, the, the author of I Was Broke, Now I'm Not with us. Were y'all here for that? I wrote down that he, uh, or I had, you know, I was taking notes and then I was checking off how many times he said fired up. He said it 19 times during the second service. Were y'all fired up about it? Yeah. <laughs> it was so good. It was so good. And so, uh, so he talked about what do you do with the other 90%? How do you, what, what do you do with that? And it was so, so practical. Then last Sunday night with our financial learning experience, we had close to 300 folks here and it was just so, so good. Well, the tension I feel this morning is what do you do when you just don't feel like you have enough? What do you do when that little voice in the back of your head says, yeah, that sounds good for them, but that'll never work for me. Now, maybe you don't struggle with that, but I'm gonna pretend I'm on Honest Planet this morning and say, I deal with that. There are seasons in my life where I, I see it in somebody else's life and I think, man, that's amazing. Uh, Sarah and Tim, that's unbelievable. Or some of the other stories of Cal and Amy or, or the first week, David and Christy, man, that sounds great for them, but God, there's no way you could do it in my life. 
that I realize in a room the size with this many people watching online even, that there are people that wrestle with a very real fear. And the very real fear is this, the fear of not having enough, the fear of it not working out, the fear of, man, there's no way God could do something in that. And there's no way God could, could pull this off. And for some of us, it is a financial need in our life. And as we've been talking about flip, obviously this series is focused primarily on finances, but the truth is, we may be feeling this in other areas of our life. The fear of not having enough, maybe relationally. We feel bankrupt when it comes to some of the most important relationships in our life. And we think, man, that's never going to work out. Sometimes it's in our jobs. We think, man, I'm going to be at this job the rest of my life. People are going to keep taking advantage and they're going to keep leapfrogging me. And there's never going to be enough there. And sometimes it's in the area of our health where it just seems like something's always going wrong. Just at the right time when we feel like we're finally getting back on top of everything, then something strikes us down again. It's this fear of not having enough. And one of the reasons why this is such an important fear to talk about today is because oftentimes the thing that we fear the most is actually the area that we're trusting God the least. If I wasn't the one preaching, I would have said, ouch, right there, because I see this in my own life, that the area that I fear the most, the area that I get so preoccupied with, the thing that, that I'm like, man, it's not going to work out. What if I don't have enough? What if, it's, what if this doesn't pull off? The thing that we fear the most is often the area that we're actually trusting God the least. And so this morning, here's what I want to do. I want to describe to you how you can turn that thing that's a stressor? How do you bring that thing that seems overwhelming? How do you think bring that thing that feels broken, whether it's in your business or whether it's in your relationships or whether it's in your personal finances? What does it look like for God to show up in the middle of it and do what only he can do? So if you have something to write on, something to write with, I'm gonna invite you to follow along. But we're gonna be in 2 Kings chapter four today. If you have a Bible or a device that you wanna track with. You're welcome to do that. We'll have it on the screens as well. But in 2 Kings 4, we meet a lady that totally needs a God thing. If you were to interview her and ask her, hey, do you need God to show up? She'd be like, absolutely, because she's facing the fear of not having enough. She's in a life circumstance that she didn't vote on. She's in a life circumstance that she didn't pick herself, but she found herself in a tough, tough place where she needed what only God could do. And there's some of us that are there this morning. We're like, man, we need God to show up. Let me read you the passage, and then I want to give you some really practical uh, descriptions of this recipe of what I call a financial God thing. Here's, here's what it says, 2 Kings chapter 4. Look down at verse 1 if you have it, or you can track along on the screen as well. But here's what it says. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha. Now, Elisha is a prophet. And so her husband was part of this crew. Her husband was friends with Elisha. They were known of each other. It says, the wife of a man who was in the company of prophets cried out to Elisha, and here's what she says to him. Your servant, my husband, is dead. Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord, but now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. So this is a financial crisis 
in her life. This is, I don't know where I'm going to turn. This is, my husband got us into debt. Now he's dead. The creditor's wanting his payment. I don't have anything. My sons are going to get sold into slavery. This is common in their day, that if you couldn't pay your debts, your kids went into slavery. Listen to what it says in verse 3. Then Elisha replied to her, how can I help? Tell me, what do you have in your house? She replies, your servant has nothing there at all except a little oil. She's like, this is all I have. I don't have a lot. I don't have a lot. I don't have anything, but I do have this little bit. And so Elisha replies to her in verse three and says, go around and ask your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask just for a few. Then go inside, shut the door behind you, behind you and your sons, pour oil into all the jars. And as each is filled, put it on one side. So she left him. And afterwards, she shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there's not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went, she told the man of God and said, go sell the oil, pay your debt. You and your sons can live on what is left. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been in a desperate moment? Maybe for you, it's not this exact scenario, but there's been a time in your life where you're like, I need God to do something. I don't know how this is gonna work out. I've got the stress and the strain. Could God do something? And the good news this morning is that God is still able to do miracles, that God is still able to reach into dark, hopeless circumstances and do something great. And so this morning, I, I, I wanna show you the ingredients of a God thing. In scripture, we see this pattern over and over again. In scripture, we see this premise that God can do anything. So if you've got something to write on, something to write with, let me give you sort of this recipe. The first part of this recipe is number one, whenever we're trying to seek out this God thing, is number one, we need to face the insufficiency. We need to face the insufficiency. In other words, this is a fancy way of saying, admit it that we don't have it all together. That's essentially what this lady's doing. When she says to him in verse one, when it says the wife of a man of the company of prophets cried out to Elisha and said, your servant, my husband is dead. You know that he revered the Lord, but now his creditor is coming to take my two sons as his slave. She's saying, I don't know what to do. This is an important part of the ingredients. This is an important part of the recipe that there comes this moment where we like her say, you know what? I just don't know what to do. As she's saying these things, it's almost like she's reminding Elisha the prophet, hey, my husband was a good guy. My husband did a lot of good things. My husband was friends of all the other prophets. And, and, and what history tells us is that her husband is this guy named Obadiah. And he was a guy that when the prophets were undergoing persecution, there's this evil king and uh, queen in the Old Testament named Jezebel, and she wanted all the prophets dead. Well, her husband historically is the one that took them under his wing. He hid them and chances are he went into debt while taking care of the prophets of God. So he was doing a good thing. He was doing something that seemed right. He went into what he probably considered to be good debt. And sometimes we do that in our own lives where we use our own thinking, our own intellect, our own sort of uh, cunningness. We're influenced by what marketing tells us. And many times we take a next step based on what seems obvious and clear to us. But here's my guess about this guy. He didn't expect to die before his wife did. 
He didn't expect there to be a day that his sons might be sold into slavery. He didn't expect it to go wrong, and neither do we. We don't go into decisions about debt or decisions about job changes or decisions about upgrading our houses. We don't typically step into those expecting the worst. In fact, what ends up happening is we believe the best. We're like, yeah, I know that's a stretch, and I know that that's going to be a disruption, but we can do it, we can do it, we can do it. And if we're not careful, we'll keep weak in doing it into the into a a deeper hole and in the end we have to stop like this lady does and just admit our insufficiency and say man I can't fix this myself this was desperate for her as a widow with debt chances are she would live in poverty the rest of her life with a widow in debt for the creditor to get his payment back would mean that she'd lose her sons to slavery can you imagine living with that Can you imagine the pain of that? And yet in our lives, man, we live with some of that weight. This idea of facing the insufficiency is to say, let's get honest about where we're at. In fact, if you're a note taker underneath that first point, just write this phrase down. The shortest distance, the shortest distance between where you are and where you want to go is the truth. It's this idea there's got to be a moment of clarity, a moment of honesty to say, this is broken. Whether, again, whether it's financial or relational or whatever that area is, just to get honest and say the shortest distance to get between where I am and where I want to go is the truth. To get super honest about it, to quit acting like it's not a big deal, quit acting like it's going to fix itself, just to say, God, I need help. In fact, on week one of the series, I got to interview David and Christy Peterson, and they were living the normal life that most people live. And there came this moment where they recognized we are in debt. They were in over $80,000 worth of consumer debt. And now the moment I say that, uh, the danger of me saying a number is some people are going to think, man, that's too big. That's way larger than I could ever pay back. And some of you are like, man, that's actually kind of small. And so I don't want you to focus on the number. I want you to focus on the weight of what they felt. They're like, man, we don't know what we're going to do. We're being limited by the amount of debt we're in, and yet we believe God wants us to get out of it. And so there comes this moment of, God, I need help. So that's the first part of the recipe, is to come to this end and to say, I need to be honest about it. I need to be honest about where I'm at. And so number one is to face insufficiency. I can't do it myself. But the second piece of this recipe is so important. The second ingredient is number two, to begin to find what I call the faith ingredient. Find what I call the faith ingredient. That in every single one of us, there's this tension of, I believe it could be better, and yet there's also the cynicism inside of us that it'll never be good again. Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you ever felt that? You're like, one moment you're inspired, man, this could be great. And then the realist inside of you is like, but this probably won't work out. That story sounds amazing, but it never works out for me. There's this tension inside of us. And I guarantee you, there's some tension in this woman where she's facing this extraordinary debt. She's facing the loss of her sons. And here's what Elisha, the prophet says to her in verse two, it says, and he replied to her and said, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? And her response is, well, I have nothing. 
And sometimes that's our response. Well, I, I have nothing. I don't have anything going for me. The, the moment that we've got an area of our life that feels so, so heavy, what ends up happening when we have a lack in our life, when we have a need in our life, if we're not careful, we'll get so focused on that need. We'll get so focused on that unmet area of our life that we get what's called tunnel vision, where you get so preoccupied with this unmet need that it begins to grow in intensity in your life. And before you know it, it feels like that's the only thing that's, that's real in your life. Do you know what I'm saying when I describe that? That it just, it just feels like that's, the, that's reality. And so for her, it starts with, well, I've got nothing. I've got nothing. I don't, I don't have anything. Didn't I just tell you? I'm a widow and, oh, and I'm in debt. And yet here's what she goes on to say in verse, uh, verse 2. There's nothing there at all except for a little oil. And you sort of sense this, well, that's kind of insignificant. It's not that big of a deal. All I've got is a little bit of oil. There's no way that's going to meet my need. There's no way I could sell that. And here's what Elisha says in verse 3. Go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Now, the rea realist inside of me is like, what are you talking about? What do you mean? Go look for empty jars. I've got just a little oil. I've got a jar that already takes care of that. I don't, I don't need any more. But here's what he says, go to all your neighbors and look for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside, shut the door behind you and your sons, pour the oil into all the jars and eat as each is filled, put it to one side. At first, honestly, this doesn't make sense. At first, when you're feeling hopeless and helpless, this doesn't make sense. And yet somewhere inside of this, this widow decides, I'm going to at least give it a try. I mean, part of her could have said, you know what, this is not going to work. This is not going to work out. I don't have enough. I don't have enough. I don't have enough. And yet somewhere inside of her, she's like, all right, he says, go get empty jars. I can at least try that. That's what I call the faith ingredient. It's sort of like the guy in the New Testament that comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, can you show up in my life? Can you do this thing that only you can do? And Jesus says, do you believe? And this guy responds. He's like, yes, I do believe, but help me in my unbelief. That tension of, God, I believe you're able, and I believe you can do it again, and God, I believe you can move mountains, but at the same time, I'm struggling. I don't know how it's going to work out. I don't, this doesn't make sense, but I've got enough faith that I'll at least try it. And why, the reason why I call this the faith ingredient is because what I found is oftentimes when we're in a place of lack, when we're in a place of need, what ends up happening when we get so preoccupied with the unmet need and the unmet need begins to grow, we shift into what most people call scarcity thinking. Scarcity mindset is when you focus on the gap of what's missing in your life. Scarcity thinking is everything's wrong. This is not going to work out. Everybody else gets the promotion. I get overlooked. Everybody else's marriage seems to be great. Mine feels like World War III. Everybody else, everybody. And what ends up happening in scarcity mentality is we focus on the gap instead of on the gain. We focus on what's missing instead of on what God wants to do in and through this moment. Because when she says, I don't have anything, is that actually true? There are actually things that she does have. She has a little oil. She, at least at this point, still has her sons. She has her neighbors. She has access to this prophet named Elisha. She's healthy enough to get to him. And honestly, she has desperation. And sometimes desperation is actually a gift because it gets us to say, I'm going to do whatever God tells me to do. 
And the great question when we think about this idea of finding the faith ingredient is, do I believe God's power is still present in the middle of my problems? Do I still believe that the same God that created the universe, the same God that died on the cross and rose again, do I believe he's present in the middle of my day-to-day life? I believe, help me in my unbelief. I want to say yes, God, would you stretch me? So number one is to say, man, I can't do it by myself. Number two is to say, in the middle of this, I'm going to find the little bit, the seed of faith in my life, the little bit. For David and Christy Peterson, it's like God has spoken to them. We need to get out of debt. We need to get out of debt. And the moment they say we're going to get out of debt, he goes through, three, through two job losses. But I still believe God wants me to. Number three, is to follow instructions. Now that seems obvious. It's like, really? You went to seminary for that? (laughs) But I don't know how it is for you, but for me, human behavior is the hardest part of all of this. It's like, I know, (laughs) but what am I doing? So the real practical piece of this is when it says in verse five, she left him and afterwards she shut the door behind her, her sons, they brought the jars to her. In other words, they followed his instructions. She says to her sons, go and get jars and they go and do it. That's a miracle in and of itself in the Bible, isn't it? They do what she said. When I was a kid and my mom told me to do something, I always obeyed her on the first ask. Do you believe that? Did you? No. My mom's the sweetest person on the planet. She's like four foot ten. She's a little bitty. But man, I you know I remember when I was a kid and had friends over. We're playing some game on the TV, and she came in the room. She's like, "Bobby, take the trash out." And I'm being the cool teenage kid. It's like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah I'll get it later." She came back in like ten minutes. Like, hey, "Bobby, I told you to take the trash out. Take the trash out." Yeah, yeah, yeah. I told you. I'll get it later. Like five minutes later, I saw a different side of my mom. She came in with these two giant trash bags. I told you to take the trash out. I'm like lifting up a cross, demon name yourself, right? And then the phone rings and she goes back to, hello, how are you? Well, in this passage, the kids actually obeyed her and I'm saying, well, who wouldn't? Here's your choices. You can either be sold into slavery or you can go ask your neighbors for jars. That's pretty easy, right? I think I'll go get the jars. But listen to what happens in this passage. So they go and get the jars. They bring it back. She closes the door. So it's not big public. It's not a Facebook. Hey, look at what God's doing in my life. It's this private thing that's happening where every jar they bring, she keeps filling it. Every jar they bring, she keeps filling it. Every vessel they bring, she keeps filling it. Over and over, that little bit that they had stretched out in faith keeps pouring and pouring and pouring and pouring and pouring. They followed instructions. And there's something powerful about that to say, you know what? Whatever the circumstance I'm in, again, it could be financial. It could be something else to say, God, I'm going to seek your will. God, what's your game plan? I'm going to read the book of Proverbs. Proverbs has so much to say about how we steward what he's trusted us with. God, I'm going to learn your instructions, and then I'm going to do what you say. 
See, the big disconnect oftentimes is we know what to do. We just don't follow through. We know, hey, I want to get out of debt, but then we keep going further into debt. Hey, I know budget seems like a simple thing, but I'm just not actually going to follow. I'm going to go to the dealer and I'm going to be convinced that I need more than I actually need. I need something nicer than I actually need. I need, oh, that's only $10 more a month in my payment. Okay, sign me up for that. Not realizing that that $10 in payment leads to $3,000, $4,000 extra dollars over the life of the loan. But there's that disconnect between knowing the instructions and following what they say. Knowing what God says, when was the last time in every area of our life we said, God, what do you want me to do? God, what do you want me to do with how I handle the finances you've entrusted me with? God, what do you want me to do in the marriage that I'm in? God, what do you want me to do with my children? God, what do you want me to do in my career that we would say, you know what, God, I want to know what you want me to do. And then here's the practical part. Do the next right thing. Do the next right thing. I know for me, I can get paralyzed when I try to think about everything that's going to happen. God, show me what's going to happen in one year, three years, five years, ten years. Show me what's going to happen in ten steps. God, show me all of this stuff. And if I'm not careful, I'll get so overwhelmed that I won't do anything. I don't know if you've ever been there. I don't know if you're that kind of person where when there's too many options or too many variables out there, I'm just going to stay where I'm at, where for them, they're like, I don't know how this is going to work. I don't know how this is going to work out, but we're going to do the next right thing. We're going to go get the jars. Once we get the jars, we're going to do what he says. We're going to pour the oil in it. Once we pour the oil in it, we're going to go back to the guy and say, what do we do with it to follow instructions? Number one, to say, I can't do it. Number two, to say in the middle of this, I'm going to find faith. Number three, I'm going to do whatever he says. And then finally, number four, this fourth ingredient in a God thing is that this situation, this emptiness, this brokenness gets fixed through God's intervention. She did what only she could do and God did what only he could do. And so she shuts the door, they bring in the jars, they fill them, they fill them, they fill them, they fill them, they fill them. them, And the oil doesn't stop until the jars run out. The blessing of God doesn't stop until they run out of the vessels. See, I think sometimes we assume that God's a just enough God. In fact, when Pastor Chuck taught two weeks ago on what happens when we give, we saw this isn't true. But sometimes we bind this mentality that God is a just enough God. For her, it would have been, hey, just give me enough to get out of debt. But God doesn't stop with just enough. He gives her more than enough. He abundantly blesses her. And I don't know what that looks like for you. I don't know what that looks like for me. But what I do know is that what Scripture invites us to do is to do what we can and then allow him to do what we can't. Our part of the job is, God, I'm going to obey you in the next right thing to do. God, your part of the job is to do whatever you want to do. God, my part of the job is to quit giving all these excuses. Yeah, but you don't know what it's like to own my own business. And you don't know what it's like to have a family with more hungry mouths to feed. And you don't know what it's like to to inherit so much debt. You don't know. And instead of saying, it's different for me to say, here's what I'm going to do. I can't necessarily control all of that. Maybe like her, you've inherited some of this. But what I can do is I can seek what God wants me to do. And I can do the next right thing. 
And man, it's unbelievable. When we live this kind of posture, what begins to happen is God shows up in a powerful way. The lead said it. Sometimes it's not the financial way that you see him show up. Sometimes it's the peace of God in your life. Sometimes it's the restored relationships. Sometimes it's a game plan where God brings hope, where we say, God, I'm going to do my part, and I'm going to trust you with the results. Man, these last four weeks have been all about how can we serve you guys? Knowing that finances are a huge stressor, this series was not about what can we get from you, but what can we give to you? How can we give back? And I recognize this morning that there's some folks that feel like this widow that feels like, man, there's no hope, there's no help, I don't know what's gonna happen. And I just wanna remind you that God's still in the business of doing the supernatural. And so I wanna invite you, would you very quietly and reverently just stand as we begin to pray? I just wanna invite you, I feel like we just need this series where the series began with prayer. And so even now, I don't know what's going on in your life, and I don't know what it is that you're needing a God thing for, but I guarantee you in a room this size with this many of us in here, there's some very real needs. Maybe it is the financial thing that we've been talking about. Maybe it's relational. Maybe it's a spiritual need. But as we bow for prayer, this altar is open, and I just want to invite anybody that is asking God, God, would you show up and do a God thing in my life? Even now, as we begin to pray, would you just make your way down to this altar? Would you come and use this as a place of prayer, as a place of saying, God, I'm bringing this to you. The same God that filled those vessels, God, I'm asking you to fill this need that's in my life. There's nothing necessarily special about this altar, but there's something powerful about the posture that takes a knee and says, God, I'm bringing this to you. That you're the same God that showed up in this woman's life and I'm asking you if you'd show up in my life and just tell them what that is. Tell them exactly what it is. That moment of honesty of saying, God, I need you, I need you, I need you, I need you to show up. God, I can't fix it myself. I can't do it myself. I've tried and it's just not working. And so as you pray, I'm gonna pray out loud, but as I pray out loud, I invite you to pray in your head and your heart and just open the conversation, dear Jesus, dear Jesus, you know the need that's in my life. Would you just tell them what it is? Just be gut level honest. God, you know this need. God, you know I've been wrestling with it. You know I've been fighting with it. just to have that moment of honesty. And then would you just ask him, God, would you help me to hear from you today? Would you help to stir up the little bit of faith that I have? That instead of being a scarcity mindset person, that I'd be an abundance mindset person, that I would focus on who you are and what you can do. And God, if it would please you, would you help me to have a game plan? Would you help me to know what the next thing is for me to do? It could be a phone call, it could be an email. It could, hey, I need to set up an appointment with a counselor. 
could be I need to talk to somebody about my spiritual walk. Maybe it's really practical. I need to be baptized. I don't know what that is. Would you just say, God, would you help me to clearly know what my next step is? And God, would you help me to stay faithful until I see you do what only you can do? As we pray this morning, I've asked Zach and the team just to lead us. And if you're here at the altar praying, I invite you to continue praying. Just because I finished doesn't mean that you're finished. But would you allow this chorus and this song to be a reminder that there's a God that loves you and he's in the business of reaching into really messed up circumstances and putting the pieces back together again. Heavenly Father, as we sing this this morning, as we pray this this morning, thank you that you're so patient and you're so good. Would you help us to turn from our self-sufficiency and turn to you and help us to do what it is you've called us to do? Oh, your grace so free washes over me. You have made me new now. It's your endless love pouring down on us. You have made us new, now life begins with you. Oh, your grace, suffering, it washes
Oh, your grace, it's so free, it washes over me. You have made me new, and now life begins with you. It's your endless love pouring down on us. You have made us new, and now life begins with you. What a powerful, powerful reminder. I really believe that the same God that showed up in this widow's life is the same God that can show up in your life, in my life. And man, when life beats everything out of you, the hope out of you, would you borrow a little bit of that hope today? Would you borrow some of that belief today that God loves you, that God cares about the details of your life and that even when life isn't easy, does not mean you're alone, that you can lean on Him today. You can trust Him today. And I wanna encourage you, if this has been a helpful resource for you, know that we do have I Was Broke classes that launch today officially, but you can still jump in. But also I'd love for you to know that, man, as you take these next steps, that we wanna come alongside you and to resource you and help you in any way that we can. So if there's ever anything we can join you in praying for, if there's ever anything that we can join you in doing, we'd be honored to do that. Next Sunday, Pastor Chuck is kicking off a series where we're teaching through the little book in the New Testament called James. It's written by the half-brother of Jesus, and it's so, so practical. It's all about how do you activate your faith. In other words, how do you keep your faith from living in like this Sunday bubble? How do you allow your faith life to activate every area of your life? And so, man, I wanna encourage you, invite a neighbor, invite a friend. This is gonna be so, so helpful for a lot of folks that feel distance between what happens on Sunday, what happens in the rest of the week. This is gonna be so, so good. Can I pray for you before we head out today? That we all right? Actually, one more announcement, Bobby. Yes. A reminder, at the end of our service today, we have a unique opportunity to, uh, to spend some time with our Sugar Hill Espanol family. They're gonna be doing five baptisms in this room here in about five minutes after our service is done. If you need to head out of here, we totally understand. Please feel free to head out, but we're gonna have a countdown timer going on. If you wanna hang out and celebrate those baptisms with our Sugar Hill Espanol family, you're more than welcome to hang out. It's gonna be, be so good. Yeah. Such a great way to encourage them yep. and for us to be encouraged in our faith. And I'll take Pastor Carlos's thunder, hear the heavenly language. So yeah. Yeah. you hear that today. Um, but that'll be so good. And, you know, and it'll give the Methodist and Gwinnett Church time to get through the line before us at lunch. So there's something practical about it too. Something practical. Let me pray for us this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for a wonderful church that we can call home. Thank you for the men and women in this room and those that are watching from afar. I pray that you bless them today. I pray that you'd help them to sense the hope that you bring to the darkest circumstances. Help us to be like the woman in the story where we're not so proud that we can't stop and ask for help. God, would you help? Would you put some people in our lives that can walk alongside us just like she had somebody she could turn to? Would you help us to identify those people that we can lean on and walk with? And God, would you help us to put into action the practical things you give us? Help us to live in obedience. 
and we'll trust you with the rest. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a great rest of your Sunday. Love you guys. Through every battle.